wrestling fans, when I was a kid, we would travel hours to go to this tournament just because they had the coolest trophy. Well, now Spartan Combat, they're hosting a national tournament this April, and they might have the coolest trophy in wrestling. It's a Spartan helmet shield with feathers coming off it. It's beautiful. You get it for winning the Spartan Combat Nationals taking place this April in Jacksonville, Florida. Register now at SpartanCombat.com and get one of the coolest trophies in wrestling. When you're at the world's most famous arena, and they've never been in there for the first time. The last time I was in that building was in 2002 when Ed Aliverdi was was blurting out Bulgaria when Barzakov beat De Beer. I mean, it was you know those iconic calls. It's just like there were the again the pressure wasn't about the event because I've announced hundreds of events by this point. It was the fact that there are 18,000 people in here waiting for me and Brian to screw up. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Welcome to the show. We're presented by Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com now to register for their national tournament coming to Jacksonville, Florida this April. Folks, our guest today is the godfather of podcasting, the godfather of wrestling media for all that's concerned, Jason Bryant. Jason is a multiple-time Hall of Fame broadcaster. He's announced the Olympics. He's announced the World Championships, multiple NCAAs, the Midlands. And then on the entrepreneurial front, Jason started the Matt Talk Network back in the 90s, then had a couple stints at USA Wrestling amateur wrestling news intermat and then in 2014 restarted matt talk network and he's done thousands of podcast episodes over the years and is someone who's been a tremendous help to me in getting started and taking this podcast to where it is now so awesome to have jason on the show hope you enjoy this episode folks fan of the week goes to our friend kevin mcnulty representing kingston pa that's Dozer22 on Instagram. Kevin, you're the man, and I really appreciate the message you sent me yesterday. Thanks for listening. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for the godfather, Jason Bryant. Cool. Well, I'm ready to go if you are, my man. Yeah, I'm just curious where you're going to start. Because like your, your Rotundo show, he kind of did the same thing. He's like, where are you going to start? I'm like, because we did one of these before, and well, I wasn't really like happy with it. So yeah, figure it out. We'll start at, this is one that is, I don't know why I'm going here, but I, I read the article and this wrestler apparently made you weep at the Virginia State Championships, Chase McAdams. Okay, yeah. 
Tell us about that story. So this actually goes back to when I first ever stepped on a mat. So um, I got into wrestling when I was, I had never seen a match till I was a sophomore in high school. So nationally ranked, eventually we're a nationally ranked program, but we're, we're really good. And I knew that like the basketball, when I moved there in seventh grade, the basketball team was winless. The football team was terrible. Um, since the basketball team's been okay. Baseball's won a couple state titles. Football's won a state title since then, but wrestling was what made Pocosin, Virginia. Like that's what put them on the map. So, uh, my sophomore year, I go to a match, actually a buddy, Terry Daniels says, Hey, Jason, I'm going to match. He was friends of the guy who helped train me on the PA when I was a freshman in high school. I was like, yeah, I know we're good, but I'd never been to a duel. So there it is a Wednesday night, January, uh, a lot warmer than it is here in Minnesota, back in Virginia. And I just kind of, I go to a match. It's pretty cool. I get hooked. And then the next year we get a new coach and coach Ruff had, you know, it kind of, we didn't have that many big guys uh, in my, in my hometown. So if you were, a, we always tend to be really bad at the, at the upper weight. So historically there's only been one heavyweight state champion at Pocosin high school. And oddly enough, he's the only division one all American schools ever had too. So uh, interesting note there, but uh, so junior year, I come out for the squad and, this was not a good thing for me and I'm, I'm learning, <laughs> but in the process, a guy named Dan McAdams, who was a year behind me, he had lived in Pocosin and his, he moved North Carolina and had moved back and we'd become friends again. And um, I was basically looking for a workout partner because there was nobody else in the room. Jeremy Gregg, who was the starting heavyweight was moving down because uh, he was kind of giving up a lot of weight and I'm in there and I'm not good. And in the summer I bring Dan out, and again, he's class 98, I'm class 97. And he's bigger than me, faster than me, stronger than me, a much better athlete than me. Basically, I brought out a guy to be my workout partner who ended up just taking the spot for me. It was like, okay, <laughs> that's exactly how that happened. And so his little brother, Chase McAdams, was about five at the time. So Dan plays football. He was number 58. Dan was also dating one of my, my, my best friend in high school at the time too. So we spent a lot of time together anyway. Well, Chase starts uh, playing football. He's number 58. Well, Dan starts wrestling, Chase starts wrestling. So, and around that same, you know, I get into college, Chase had started wrestling. And, you know, when you're, when you're first year kid, usually your first year is your worst year, especially if you, you know, got no background in it, you got no brothers uh, that were your close to your size. I mean, Dan was probably 13 years older than, than Chase was. So, uh, as I get into college, Chase continues to wrestle. Uh, Dan was a year behind me. He got hurt his senior year. Um, actually, didn't end up finishing his senior year. He, he did get hurt. He was pretty good. It was a match away from placing, his, a match away from getting to the state tournament as a first year wrestler, which, you know, it's kind of unheard of on mm -hmm. a nationally ranked team. And, you know, years go by, we start this, this group called the Virginia Challenge. I'm, uh, you know, doing Matt Talk Online and at, at that school in Norfolk and Frank Lapoli and some wrestling leaders start with the Virginia challenge. And now people know it now because of the holiday duels, which is a giant youth uh, middle school and elementary school tournament out, out in Virginia beach. And so Chase's dad, Fred got involved with the sport. And then, you know, I've kind of by, by virtue of that, you know, I joke that Fred, you know, I blame you. Hey, Fred, you blame me for this. He goes, well, because <laughs> I got Dan into it. Chase got into it. Then Fred starts working weigh-ins and years go by and, and Chase is marginally getting better. So, Fast forward to 2009, I move out to Minnesota to work for, for Jay Robinson and Wrestling 411, and Kyle Klingman and I did a show on Tuesday, and ODU was going to wrestle Virginia Tech on Thursday in Norfolk, and it was the, it was, Virginia Tech was ranked like 15th, ODU was ranked like, uh, you know, 19th or something, it was going to be the biggest duel the school had ever had, I'm like, you know what, I should drive home to announce this, Kyle's like, do it, I'm like, 
yeah, okay. <clears throat> I text Mike Dixon. I said, you know what? I'm coming. He goes, what? I says, yeah. I get in the car Wednesday morning, drive straight through, get to ODU on Thursday morning because it's about a 20-some-hour drive. Wow. Get there. Uh, and I, I announced it's the Thursday before the state tournament in Virginia. So the, the state tournaments are configured a little differently, stupidly. And it was, it's even worse now, but then you had triple a, usually in a, in a large high school, single a and double a were on the Western part of the state. So Thursday I announced ODU Virginia tech, ODU wins that match and biggest crowd, uh, the school had for wrestling great dual me. I mean, it was, it was an awesome dual me. And then the next day I go to the triple a state tournament and which is local so i stayed local and then i the first day i get to go and i'm like i gotta drive back and i was like well you know what i should go to salem cuts four hours off my trip so after the triple a's that friday i get in i get in my car and i drive and this is my vehicle i drive to salem which is about four hours through the night run into some old old high school friends who let me sleep on the floor that are coaching jimmy jones (laughs) rob green um and then wake up the next morning and this is chase's senior year and now there was a lot of turmoil at my high school this particular year. The coach had been let go for some off the mat issues. Um, there were some kids that had transferred in that eventually would transfer back out. End up putting, I think, four or five in the state finals, four state. It was like the perfect storm of things that happened with crap in this, this historic program. And the kids really came above it. Well, one of those kids was Chase. He was undefeated and had been had lost to Derek Borley, who was one of the one of the top kids in the country out of you know, they'd, since they were wrestling, I think they wrestled each other in the state semi, uh, semis as, as sophomores. And, you know, Borley went to get bigger and, and wrestled in Fargo and then placed really high, wrestled Wisconsin. Well, Chase had never won a state title. And I'm there. And the second day and all the, all the turmoil, he had gotten hurt. And he goes out there and he wins the state championship. And, I, you know, Dan's there. Fred and Mara, their parents are there. And it was just, you know, just it was the – I just a, a set of circumstances that happened that, uh, you know, having been there when Chase started wrestling, you know, I felt like, you know, he was kind of like a little brother in some ways, even though I'd been gone for, for quite a while. And, you know, there were some magical moments at that tournament, you know, Andrew Williams from tab won a four state title. He was from my wrestling club growing up and rival high school, but still when Chase goes out there and wins it and beats the kid from Northside, it was just, you know, there's these overhangs in Salem. So I, I went and sat back underneath the overhang and I lost my shit, dude. I wow. cried my eyes out. I was just, and I talk about just the power of wrestling in that moment that, you know, I had, I, I, you know, I didn't have anything to do with him winning that turn. I didn't have anything with him getting better. I didn't have anything really. I mean, it was, it was his parents that, and you know, he wanted to be like, Dan, that's why I started wrestling. But, you know, I bring Dan out for wrestling. What happens? Does, does Chase ever win a state title? Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't bring his brother out for the team, I mean, he may have, but you know, in that moment, just to see the kid that went, Oh, and 16 and got pinned 16 times, his first year wrestling go undefeated and win a state title. It was, it's still something that gives me chills. And here we are, you know, 13 years after the fact, and it's just one of those things, man, that like, yeah. it's really kind of, <clears throat> it really puts, I don't know if I say even puts things into perspective, but that to me is one of the most memorable moments I will ever have in my career. And I've been put to tears a couple of times when it comes to wrestling, that one will be hard to top. Yeah. I called Helen Marulis winning a gold medal in Rio tears streaming down my face, but that might've been the gold medal for Helen, but she's still second place on that list of emotional wins for me because um, you know, just 
it was my hometown. It's my, you know, it's one of my, one of my good friends, little brothers that, you know, you felt like you had a little bit to do with that. And mm-hmm. even I never accomplished that. I never started from my high school team. Obviously I brought my, I brought a drill partner out who ended up <laughs> taking the spot from me. So that's, uh, that's so funny, you know, and then his brother went to state title. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that you could dig into that with it, but um, you know, and having the family be part of a wrestling family because Chase started going in. Uh, you know, Dan was at my Hall of Fame induction um, when I went into the Virginia chapter. I made sure, you know, you know he started dating his, uh, you know, his, his wife in high school. They've been together for 20 some years. And, you know, Chase went to King University, then King College. He was because he was big in the racing. He actually been a short track uh, driver at the, the, the track back home, Langley Speedway. So I uh, got away from wrestling. I went, you know, once he got in college, you know, I had some injuries that stopped him. But just just that moment, though, 2009, just to sit there and and just to show up and you know, his parents would be like, oh my goodness, Twinkie's here. You know, that's my nickname growing up. And it was like, it was just, they knew something was going on. Just, it just like stars align, like Chase is going to win this thing, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not taking any credit for it clearly, but <laughs> it's just, you know, to have a little piece of something like that. Cause you know, I don't know. I didn't make anybody better as a drill partner to make, to help them win a state title. And that's the closest I've ever been, you know, it's, it's the closest I've been to something like that. And that's a moment that I, I will, I will be able to explain vividly until I'm, I'm old and gray. So that's wow. where we can start with that. That's I love moments like that though. And just even like the road trip leading up to it, all the things that had to fall in line for you to be there is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if I'd have watched it online, I mean, I, I mean, you know, and it's weird. I trying to explain like the tide of your high school when I, I'm 42 years old, I'm, I'm coming up on my 25 high school, high 25th year reunion. Like what, you know, she doesn't pay any attention to what goes on at Princeton, Minnesota, but Here's me. I mean, I'm still paying attention to what goes on. And, you know, if small towns are like that, and especially mm-hmm. when, you know, I go back for the Virginia duels every year, my wrestling club, my hometown's pretty much the part of the lifeblood of that organization. So I want, you know, and my friend's kids are, are coming through there. It's one of those, like, you know, there's a song by cross Canadian ragweed called 17. And, the, and one of the key lines in it is you're always 17 in your hometown. And it's that type of place, man. So, uh, you know, I keep up with how the team's doing. I mean, one of, one of my, you know, one of my, you know, my friend's kids are winning state titles and stuff like that. Kids I graduated with, their kids are wrestling. So it's just, you keep up with things like that. So I've naturally had that tie to, you know, a place that's previously known for Allen Iverson documentaries and wrestling. That's about the two things it's known for. So um, that little town got me into wrestling and that little town has provided me the, the, the biggest story uh, that I tell about, you know, the greatness of sport wrestling. It's the one you just started with. So uh, well done there. Yeah, no, I, it's uh thanks for sharing that. I didn't know how, how deep and how tangled the, uh, the webs were there, but that's part of, you know, part of it. Wrestling's such a small world and everything's connected like that. How did you, so I guess if you put it in that context, you kind of were like the, um, kind of like the turning point for this fame to get involved in wrestling. How did Ed Alaverde get involved with your life? <laughs> Virginia duels. So I had been announcing, I knew I want to be a sports announcer since I was in fifth grade. I was the kid that would call in the, the sports radio station all the time. It started when I lived in Newport News. And then I, when I moved to Picos and Jason, Wait, Newport you're News, from I, Newport News originally. Yeah. Michael Vick. Yeah. He was in my brother's graduating class. Oh, my shit, stepbrother graduated, my stepbrother graduated from Warwick high school in 98. So did Vic. So, um, you know, I've, I've, my, my best man at my wedding, uh, Kurt Van Dusen taught both Michael and Marcus in eighth grade. So, you know, the Vicks, I, you know, we've, we've, we've met, you know, we, we knew each other as kids. So it's not like uh, me and Ron Mexico go that far back, but right. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, I grew up there, moved in seventh grade, uh, you know, and then 
you know, that's where I was friends with all the basketball players that came through Menchville and, and the Newport news, you know, the bad news as they like to call it. And, <laughs> um, actually I was friends with a lot of wrestlers before I even knew what wrestling was, you know, guys like Joey leg, Joe, Wright, You know, the pro cup brothers, all these kids, you know, these kids I grew up with in summers at the boys club. Well, then I run into them later covering them. Wait a minute. We've spent summers at the boys club together. So, but yeah, um, you know, got into sports radio and would listen to Tony Mercurio, who was the drive time guy back then. It's the only sports radio station in Virginia. And they still now it's an ESPN affiliate. And I was Jason from Newport News and then Jason from Pocosin and then Jason Modiu. And so I, I was all in the sports and then, you know, start announcing baseball. First sport I announced was I was 14 as a freshman, then getting start doing it, getting in all these sports. And then 1995, again, that year. So that match at, against Deep Creek on that Wednesday night. Well, the guy that took me the next day goes, hey, we're wrestling in the duels on Friday. Do you want to go? And I had heard of the Virginia Duels. They were on TV. It was a big thing. You know, even the radio station I've mentioned, they even did a Friday one time at the Virginia Duels, and I'm listening to it. Uh, drive has all oh, Pocosin with another pin down there. And I'm like, man, well, pretty good here. I mean, I remember vividly, you know, three straight pins to start at Brad Jewell, Chad Jewell, and Jared Fitzpatrick. Boom, boom, boom. Um, that, that was that 94, that 94 class. And just, and then, so the first time I go, were the, the seventh the first year of the national high school division they bracketed out and so i skipped school on a friday to go and half the school was there it was kind of it was wasn't wasn't really kind of frowned upon to, to skip school to watch virginia duels and um you know beat the 18th ranked team from in the country from georgia kind of got hooked on it there well the announcer was ed aliverdi and it was this colorful just poeticness of just i don't know how really describe it you know, red, white, and blue. We've got a fall on two. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> this guy? But it wasn't until the next year I went because I didn't go to the finals that year because they finished seventh, and I had I was actually playing rec basketball. I had to go to my game uh, for, in the afternoon session. So the next year I'm with the student paper, and I'm covering this as a junior. Even I'm kind of around the program, not really on the team, but kind of on the team kind of thing. And this is where I get the full Ed Aliverdi experience, and he is just, just wit just passion and just the way he would command the microphone and just i don't have his type of voice i borrow a couple things from ed but i don't model myself after ed but there are some things that he do he does that or did that i could never quite nail but there are some things that he brought to the sport of wrestling man and i i felt like i'd watch kind of what he did and i kind of brought that kind of mentality to the other sports i did because i now ended up announcing eight sports in high school and then he did even more, got in uh, different sports in college and even, even has have announced roller derby of all things, but <laughs> uh, yeah, with an outfit and costume and everything. So when, when I meet Ed and I'm, you know, Ken Berger is his co-announcer who I've, I've known for many years and, and announced events with and around the world really. And Ed is just, and I'm not really bothering Ed a whole lot. Cause then the media table and the head table weren't really close. Then that when they put them together, that's when I really got to know him a couple years later and just, very just his his preparation he had the sheets and this is before really you could look all the stuff on track and internet you know he was research he had the pronunciations and one one year i think it was that i think it was 98 on my first year in college oklahoma state comes in and i remember coach ruff was still at at Pocosin and was cleaning up the room as a coach i went back home and picked something up and he's like you know it's 20 minutes from where i grew up and it was like oh Hey, coach, what are you cleaning? Oklahoma State, we got number one team in the country. Oklahoma State's coming in. He is scrubbing the wrestling room left and right because the teams would come in mm-hmm. and work out at the local high schools. And that year, Roger Moore, who you know people know as a broadcast for OSU and a writer and a journalist, 
he was on, uh, he was the SID for Oklahoma State. And he's talking about Oklahoma State incessantly next to me, talking about how good Teague Moore was. Teague Moore was a sophomore mm-hmm. and just lights up this kid from App State in the first round. Well, on the backside, App State is wrestling North Carolina. And so it's a consolation match in the bracket. And I just, this, this is the, one of the most distinct things I remember Ed ever doing. He goes, coming out there for Carolina, that's my. Coming out there for App State, that's my. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, twin brothers wrestling on Matt one. My, oh my, what's a mother to do? And I'm like, oh my goodness. That was the, and then, then he gets out there and does his, his America, the beautiful America, you know, just if you've ever, it's just, and it's one of those things, if you've never seen it before, you do not know what to expect. And it's really hard to like contain your laughter because it, it's not what you expect to see. All you wrestling people that have been doing this for years know what's coming when he did the anthem. And one year, I remember sitting at the next to Nick Fierro uh, from the Eastern Express Times at the time. He covered the Eagles for a long time, too. And I was like, oh, have you you ever heard Al Verde? No, nah, no. Nah. It's like, be prepared. So then he sees it. And Bobby Stinson's out there for Camden Catholic, just trying to hold in his composure and those robes that they got. And they said they make eye contact in the middle of ed- edge thing. And they both kind of like <clears throat> they almost lose it. And then one year, two writers like, oh, you guys never seen this? Oh, be prepared. And I stepped away from them because I knew what was going to happen. And yeah, they just you, they, you just don't expect it. But Ed, every time I'd walk by and be like, hello, young man, you're just so such a nice guy, never big timed anybody. And it was, I, I really, it took, took me a while to, to own up the courage to actually ask him for advice because I didn't want to seem like I was kind of stealing his shtick because, yeah. you know, when you're young, you're arrogant, you're egotistical, you think I can do that. Well, it took me a long time to get to the point where I even had the opportunity to do that. But it, it's also, you, you want to develop your own style, but Ed was always very uh, eloquent, very respectful. Uh, just, he was, he, he was such a good human being, him and his, him and his wife, Shirley would always say hello. They'd always make sure time to take you know, in the middle of all, all the chaos, they'd take time to talk to you. And, you know, I spent a lot more time with Ken Berger as, 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 you know, as a mentor mentee type of thing, but Ed was always a guy that um, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's like trying to follow Gable, you know, that was going to be tough for Zaleski, you know, yeah, yeah, following it yeah. Alaverde or following Sandy, following these people in, in the role I do, there's always going to be that comparison. So, but uh, thankfully I'm friends with them and I was friends with Ed and, he was always very cool and, and somebody that I really wish this generation of kids coming through really would have had the opportunity to hear what what poetry he would do on the microphone. I don't have that poetic uh, that poetic sense or that that entertainer sense. I've got more of the snarl and stats um, and, and dad jokes. I've, I've now introduced a lot of dad jokes and maybe even a, a pro wrestling reference or two. I think uh, the Spanish announce table almost always biffs it at nationals when heavyweights go through it. So. <laughs> you know, you know, you kind of have a little bit of fun with it, but he also, he, he kind of taught me that wrestling can be fun, can be entertaining. Um, you know, you can, you can make a joke and still not have this whole thing be about you. So uh, Ed was really good at that and really kind of helped me kind of, you know, put my career on track in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, when I had a chance to do the Virginia duels, when his wife had a stroke one year, uh, I remember at the PWA meeting as we're coming up on the Virginia duels this week, I mean, we're talking 21 years ago. Uh, they're like, Ed can't make it. Um, Shirley's in the hospital. Now Shirley recovered. And they came back the next year, but, uh, and I raised my hand and I'm like, uh, who's going to help Ken announce. And it was like this slow thing where like everybody in the room just kind of turned and looked at me and kind of went, well, we were kind of hoping. And so, you know, getting the opportunity to, to step in there really kind of, um, you know, in, in Ed's place to announce, it was, was kind of, again, big shoes to fill. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're taking the place of a legend just temporarily there. And that really, so how many years things. after that, that initial just temporary fill in from the first time you heard him, would you say? 
Oh, uh, I heard him in 90. Okay. So I went to the duels in 95. Yeah. Covered it in 96. Heard him in 96. I was announcing in 2001. So wow. it was five years later. And I had yeah. since been announcing other sports. I announced all the matches at ODU for, you know, over a decade. So, um, but yeah, I was pretty, pretty fresh into the sport of wrestling by the time I was on the mic in, in the Hampton Coliseum for the first time. So, but you had spent five years though, grinding it out, if not longer, doing a ton of sports, honing uh-huh. your skill. You, you yeah, that was like the thing. Just... I didn't know wrestling was going to be my thing. Honestly, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I was, I was expecting to graduate from school and be on sports center by the time I was 25. Well, I didn't get out of school till I was like eight days before I turned 25. So <laughs> life happens. I, I was an extended undergrad at that school in Norfolk. So. Was yeah, your dream I, to write for ESPN or like be a broadcaster? No, dude, I wanted to be Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. I wanted to be that guy, you know, and, you know, doing the funny highlights and just being, I was, I mean, I worked in the newspaper in the sports department. So I, I mean, I was already snagging phones at 16 years old and, t- you know, designing baseball page, doing, you know, putting roundups together. And I mean, you know, the, those scoreboard pages, those pages of agate where you see all the standings. I was, that was me. I was just in in there. I was laying those pages out. I was also doing, just various things with, with professional sports and stats. They let me cover high school football, wrestling, and, you know, I covered some college sports here and there, but um, yeah, my, my thought was and in that era, you know, dream job comes through. I don't know if you remember that with, you know, Mike Hall, one dream job. Now he's been on the big 10 network for a uh-huh. while. And it was, it was a reality show. If you won, you got an ESPN contract and people were like, Oh dude, you'd be perfect for that. And I just kind of shook my head. I'm like, no, I don't want to win. I don't want to get there because of a gimmick. Yeah. And now Mike is a tremendous broadcaster and he's proven that he is not a gimmick. In that respect, I think a lot of people have forgotten that he won dream job unless you were in that era. But, uh, you know, I felt like I'd been doing all this work to, you know, I stayed home. I didn't go to a, a big journalism school, broadcasting school, because I had all those local con- uh, connections that I'd spent years in high school attaining. So I really thought I was going to be on SportsCenter. I mean, my goal when I was a kid was to be the most recognizable sports broadcaster in history. Lofty goals to have, obviously, you know, you know, you know shoot high and see where you see where you land. Well, no, I'm not going to be a co-sell. I'm not going to be a Berman. I'm not going to be, you know, you know, Madden's a different, different entity because he was colored and he's a former coach, but you're not going to be that, that iconic voice that everybody, you know, Vin Scully, John Facenda, those guys, that'd be cool to do. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, I know that I still got a lot of life left in terms of maybe, maybe pivoting, but I love wrestling too much. I think I'm here for here for the long haul. I mean, look at how far, you know, you've gone in that sense, you know, obviously you mentioned earlier the Olympics and we're going to talk about that, but you know, announcing the Olympics is just unbelievable, but you were one of the few who's who worked inside the newspaper before the internet. And I have to go back to just like, <laughs> I want to go into the newsroom when it's like people smoking cigarettes, no internet, like this. Well, is no, like, we didn't have smoking in there. Uh, there was nobody was smoking by then. Yet. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't that well, long ago. Warner Hessler, the late Warner Hessler, one of the uh, he he covered the Redskins for a long time, um, the team formerly known as the Redskins, and he was a big hockey guy. He had spent time covering the Sabers in his career. I mean, just he was the guy that you would see in the paper. You'd open up, and there's the column on the on the sidebar. It says, you know, well, let's open up the hotline. What's wrong with the Redskins? It was like, like his column like every week because it was it was, <laughs> a, it was a Redskins fan area, and Warner really was a great mentor in terms of writing. But he used to, the story was, because he really never worked from the office anyway. I'd see him in the office every now and then. And uh, one of my guys in the desk be like, I've been working here 10 years. It's the second time I've ever seen Warner in the office. And I was like, I've been working here two months and I'd seen him both times. So it was, it was pretty nuts. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that was the, the old newsroom was there. Yeah, Warner's desk used to be, you know, cigarette butts everywhere. But no, it was not, not quite like that when I got it. But when I started there, um, actually, I was working at a blimpy sub shop in Hampton, Virginia, right on the corner of Coliseum Boulevard 
uh, and Mercury Boulevard. So really like a block from where the Hampton Coliseum was. And I, I was working there and Mike Holtzclaw, who was a local sports writer who I'd gotten to know through, you know, announcing at baseball and all these games, he was general, you know, he was doing the high school stuff. So whenever they covered a Pocosin game, they'd see me and I'm, you know, as interested in sports as I was and read the paper, I knew who they were. And, you know, you know, they, they know, oh, you're, you're the kid from Pocosin, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm working at a blimpy sub shop, which I, I will tell you when you're overweight at 16 years old, not the best place to <laughs> develop a strong sense of self-esteem. Trust me, because your search says blimpy on it. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. A lot of jokes there. A lot of jokes, good subs. They have the only place that had a really good pastrami except for the Anna's back home in Pocosin. shout out Anna's the, so Mike comes through and this is right before my senior year. And I told, I was like, Oh, Mike holds call. He's like, Oh, Hey, Oh, Jason, what's up. And I told him, and of course I immediately start talking wrestling. And we were supposed to wrestle uh, Denby and Oscar Smith, two high schools in the area at the Titan kickoff. And I told him that. So, and I asked, and said, I didn't know how internship works. I was like, you guys got any internships there at the paper? And, and here's me thinking, I want to get it out of my way before I get to college. Not knowing that's not, that's not how, how it works. You get college credit for that while you're in college. Mm -hmm. Well, that information changed like a week later. Cause I think, you know, it was always this thing. Denby never wanted to wrestle us. And we were the double a school and they were triple a. And, you know, they were always talking a big game. They won the district. we, mashed them every time we wrestled them until both teams got pretty bad i think they i don't know if they've ever beaten us since the 90s maybe um i'll be corrected corrected by uh, the denby folk quickly when they see this but um so i then i call back i call the office number and he's there a couple of week or so later and i say hey yeah that information changed denby didn't want to wrestle us of course because you're an arrogant 16 year old you're gonna whatever he goes oh by the way there's um there's some openings for some clerks here in the sports department i know you had said something that you wanted to to know about, uh, you know, getting a, you know, internship or something. I was in my El Camino 81 El Camino with a track player that day going down there, getting the application. So nice. that's how that started. Now, when I, you know, I got hired as a clerk and there you're on like a 90 day probationary period. And I thought I was going to lose my job right away because there was this thing called the community page and you had to type in all these local bowling scores and it took forever and stupid. The first week I'm doing it. I, I knew I did them numerically no email. So I'm looking at, okay, I'm organizing them high at 300 to down and yeah. didn't realize you just, you just got to type them in. They don't care about the order. So and I kind of botched that twice. And then they're like, you do good stuff over here. You screwed that up. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is your one last chance. So I was like on thin ice before I even really got going. And then I, they took me off the community page for a while. And then I went back and did it right. And, you know, but uh, in the newsroom, it, it's interesting because back then before the internet, so we would get, uh, we'd log in to these terminals and they were blue screens and it was called C text and people before that, no hot type and stuff like that. We would get press releases that were faxed in. Uh, then we'd have to, there was no internet. So everything was through the AP wire. You'd be like, you'd have to search, you know, it's like, you know, I have to, what is the, it was like using a DOS prompt is probably how I'd best describe it. Cause you'd have to enter directory structures and there's your list. And it was big boxy, type in and then you would have to like you know it was almost also like html formatting so it'd be like uh carrot uh ufag so um something i don't know what the u stands for the font ag means agate and then you close the bracket and then you type something in and then you 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 do the close you know close mm -hmm. slash thing and that's how the text goes six point to this because then you'd send it to the, the quark terminals where they would lay it out in quark express and that's how that got done uh, the only internet in the building was in the library. And so this wow. is 1996. So when I started like my website, like in 97, uh, I'd go in the library to make sure I didn't see, did I get more hits today? I got 10 hits today. Cool. Um, so, you know, I was working there before I even started the website. So yeah, we get faxes and they would come, come in through the wire 
So what does that mean? Like when you say you access the you API, how did you yeah. access it? They had terminals. It was, I mean, there was an okay. internet, but it wasn't like web browser. So it's not Got like it. I'm going ap.org or something like that. No, you had a terminal and you'd log in and you'd search. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the codes were, but you'd see all these, these tags would be like dash AP dash uh, BKN basketball national mm. uh, or, or uh, F, you know, FBN, FBA. I think that's what they were. Uh, FBC college football. Uh, BKC college basketball. So you'd have all these, these codes that you would search in directories and that's how you would get things on the wire. You hit refresh. Okay. There's the story. Then you'd hit this combination of letters that would, there was a macro in the program that would send it to Microsoft word and then it would format or no, it would send it to C text and format. I, when I came back to the newspaper, you know, a year or so later, finally we were in Microsoft word and the whole thing, we actually had the internet in the office, but we had the email system was like, you know, at Jazzbury, you know, that's like, that's my, my emails. There was no Jay Bryan at dailypress.com yet. So wow. uh, there were no outside email addresses. So, I mean, I remember even trying to put the first, uh, the Virginia duels website, which was like somebody's uh, personal server with like a tilde. There was no, a tilde would not print. And there was no figure for tilde in C text. It wouldn't even show up. Cause I don't know if you remember like old ESPN was like ESPN.sportzone.net slash sports or mm-hmm. something like that. Well, this was like Chasmo slash tilde VA duels. It was just some weird combination. But yeah, the back in the day with the wire, it was, I mean, I just have a vague recollection of it. Cause I mean, I started there in 19, in August, 96, like literally days after I turned 17 and just, you know, going and then a year and a half, I took a couple months off, came back. And when I come back, there was the internet, it was word uh, formats were different. Searches were still same because the, the wire was still working the same way, but uh, yeah, things have changed over the years, but the, uh, it's just, that's really where a lot of my, you know, how I format scores and how I write just came from, you know, there's no better way to learn than, than right in there, seeing everything. And so would uh, you be, do like one article a day or how many? A no, day? I wasn't. When you're a clerk, you're not writing yet. You but once are, you became a writer, once you were in the uh, thick of it, still, it was, there's presentation and gathering. So typically if your presentation, you're writing, you're not right. You know, you're not one or the other mm-hmm. being a part timer. I had the the ability to, okay, well, we need Jason, the string, let's send him out to football. So I'd usually cover a football game a week, maybe two, uh, depending on scores, but usually the, 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 where they need you is Friday night with those phone calls. So you come in, cause we've got how many, a hundred schools in the coverage area. So you're like, you're picking up the phone, be like daily press sports, Jason. Uh, yeah, I have a school, you know, let's say I have a score. Okay. Uh, final Benchville 45 Woodside 12. Okay. Uh, who's home team. Okay, so Woodside by quarters, you know, seven, three, four, okay, 14. And then, okay, scores, you know, you, they, they do the score. And then you take that box score and then you'd write a brief from it. Mm. And then you'd put a bunch of them together. So, I mean, at an early age, I was getting stuff written. I didn't get a byline for any of that stuff because it's all staff reports and phoners. But as they, they start seeing you write more and they, you know, want to write more, they're like, okay, well, let's, let's put you on a game. And it started where I'd come in and I'd write something up. And then, you know, I had the afternoon game. Then the editor would look at it and, if it was good, I mean, they go through and, you know, editors edit, even the good writers have their stuff edited. So it was, it, it, it's not like you get, you work in a newspaper, you start writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically they let me, they gave me a couple of test events to come out. And then, then they were, they were comfortable with me working on deadline and working on a story on deadline. That's a different, that's a different type of pressure. Well, even laying out What's pages that? on deadline. That's, that's okay. We have four editions of the newspaper back then. I'm not sure. Now the paper has been sucked up by another organization, but Back then, we had four editions on uh, Friday. There were two editions on Sunday. So the coverage area, you you get your scores in, and you have to send the paper to print for the, the outlying areas. So 
So if you're in the center of Chicago, like Hoffman Estates is getting a different one. The Western suburbs are getting mm-hmm. this one. The closer you get to the center is the, the more timelier the stuff is. So we got to get, a, uh, you know, 1050 is first deadline. Okay, if it's not in by 1050, it's not getting into King William. Sorry, you're not getting that. Um, you know, then there was the South of the James edition, the Gloucester edition. And then the final was the one that pretty much had everything in it. Uh, 1150, 1230 deadlines, depending on when it is. So you'd have to sit there and that page has to be gone. So you're typing and you've got to send it to somebody. They've got to put it on the page. And when that page, okay, it's been proved, printed, go. Hit send, it goes to the press in the back. And the Daily Press had their own printing facilities. So they'd come in about, you know, 20 minutes later, here it is. You look through the actual paper for the next day. It'd be like, okay, what else? And you trade and see, okay, we got about 15 minutes to, to, to rest before we go to the next deadline. All right. Okay. Uh, well, this, this headlines, this word's missed, but that first edition would get every typo and every screw up ever by the time, basically had four times to get it right by the time you got the final. So, but when you're on a, you need to story in by, by 10, 15, I mean, cause that the people working the desk have to have to edit it and put it on the page. That's what's, that's what's pressure. And then when you're not even talking about when you're writing, like when you're laying out pages. So I was doing the baseball page for a while and you know, you look at the, okay, seven to five starts, you're getting in for first edition. 805, mm, you might. If the game goes fast, you might get it in for first. You know, mountain time or games in Colorado, you're not getting West Coast games. Typically, what you would see in the first edition open up says, like, you know, you know, Cubs at Dodgers, comma, late. That's what you would see. Well, we don't get those. You might get them for final. And then they would call run back. So you'd run that box score back the next day mm-hmm. and say late Friday. So one of the most crazy things about working in a newspaper is when you've got the baseball page laid out, there's a certain way you have to do it. Box scores don't break over to the next column and you have to put the little gamers in there. And then here comes a no hitter in the eight o'clock starting spot. And you're like, do we get it in for first? And it's like, especially if it's a big gun, if it's like, you know, Kerry Woods tossing a no, no, um, or a perfect game. You're like, um, is it going on the front or is it going on the baseball page? Cause if it's going on the front, they take it. You're good. Now, if it's going on your page, they're going to change the front. You're going to have to re- redesign the page and four hours of work that you've just done. You're going to have to change in five minutes, 10 minutes. I mean, it's, it's nuts. The, and the Dang. pressure, and that was, that was also one reason I kind of left the industry is when you do that enough and granted, there's a lot and, and the industry has changed. And especially with the internet is, you know, you say you work at the paper. Oh, what do you write? There's people that work in advertising. There are people that are working at, there are people that work in newspapers for 30 years that don't write a single word right. in that particular paper. They're editors, they're designers, um, you know, they're, they're copy editors. I did a lot of copy editing, but it's sit there, you know, you open up the paper, people go, oh, great story. Well, they don't go, man, whoever designed page B4 with that no hitter in the ninth did a great job. They don't think about that. So part of that industry is when, when you're in, in, a, in a media role, and yeah, there's a degree of ego that comes with being in the media, is there's really the, the job satisfaction starts to wane. Mm. And that was one thing that was kind of like rough. And you know, as a part-timer, I wasn't getting paid certain things. And then when I went full-time, uh, I was full-time copy editing and laying out pages no longer was I writing wrestling, which was kind of an issue because I was told I was going to be able to do that. And then that presentation gathering thing I alluded to earlier didn't happen. But uh, when, you know, when I started writing a lot more, they gave me the, the, the columns for, you know, I started covering wrestling. They gave me a weekly wrestling column. So I had mm-hmm. the notebook and I got my rankings in the paper from the website. So had an opportunity to get a lot of wrestling in the paper because of my competence level and the fact that they trusted me and they, they thought I did a pretty good job. So um, that was a lot of stuff back home. And remember, I haven't worked at a newspaper since November of 2004. Right. So we're, we're doing a long time ago. I mean, we're still right. talking, you know, it, you know, Intermat was still, I mean, I went to leave to work for them. But uh, the, the point was, is like the, the, the early days of the newspaper, well, not even early days, like my early days of the newspaper were still very um, 
you know, you got to get it read, you got to get edited, you get quotes, you know, you know, things called write throughs where you get a first one on that's 10 inches. Okay, right through. Let's add the quotes that we just got. You see that with the, you know, if you get that first edition paper, you got this little story. Then you get, you know, here's the manager quotes, the player quotes, then they have the longer edition for the bigger papers. So uh, for, for the later edition. So that's how that works. And it, it is, tell you what, working on a news desk is a stressful blood pressure inducing <laughs> weight gain having, because you work nights, man, your, your diet's not great, especially when you're in your twenties, single partying. And it's, it, it wasn't conducive to a great lifestyle back then, but um, there is no better training I've had for my career. And I still take things that I have from the newspaper industry that worked and they work for wrestling. They still work for wrestling in terms of like coverage on, you know, web log, you know, they call it a web log and now then it became a blog and it became a notebook and then it became a live blog. I mean, there's so many things that I actually had that experience in the newspaper industry that I brought to wrestling. And, you know, it's what I brought back into wrestling, covering it on my own website for, for Matt Talk Online when it was a Virginia site on the intermat and where I've been since then, I joke that I've had more jobs in wrestling than Sammy Henson, um, maybe Wade Chalice, depending on your generation. But, uh, you know, a lot of those things that I feel I learned in the newspaper have helped me so much more in covering wrestling because I actually, I looked at it from a news perspective and from a, from, okay, here, you know, that the, the, the triangle, you know, what's the most important and go down. I mean, to the point, talking back to my hall of fame induction, I invited my high school journalism teacher, Mark right. Vandevoort and his wife, Dot. She was the yearbook teacher. I had him back to back. I, for, for newspaper and yearbook. I mean, that impact that they had were things I learned in, in journalism in high school and working in the trenches at, 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 in the newsroom. So that's one of those things that you kind of look at some of the writing and stuff that goes on now. And you're like, none of these people worked a second in the newsroom. They don't know what it's like to actually formulate something in, in that, that, you know, okay, some people can say journalism writing is tired, but there's still a way to do things when you're, when you're trying to tell a story or cover something. Yeah. I mean, doing a gamer, I mean, this past weekend, for example, I was telling my wife this yesterday. I was I was at the, the multi-divisional national duels and I was there with the NWCA and I took care of the wraps. And I, I was sitting there writing the rap for, you know, we got six divisions to cover, you get quotes. I'm like, I got back home and I'm man, I forgot how much of a grind it is to get a full, like, uh, you know, a PR style wrap up, but also write it journalistically because I never wrote, you know, who, what, when, where, why. I, you know, I had some quotes, you know, go with some, some personal angles and stuff like that. And I just realized, man, peop, that's how wrestling coverage used to be was you waited for this big block of text. Yeah. And now I think people have forgotten how to do that. There's still a valuable skill in knowing how to write. That's why I wanted to ask you about it. Cause you know, as I, as I get more into, you know, writing and just kind of refining everything you put out there, I remember early on, you know, you shoot me some messages saying, Hey, that's misspelled. Or this is misspelled. And I was just, you know, I would feel so bad about it, but I appreciated the help. But then I'm thinking, man, you probably got that way because if you, if you messed up in the newsroom back then, they probably, they probably have you out for it. It, it has. Oh, okay. So I've screwed up a couple. I mean, I've screwed up a lot. I mean, here's the thing. Like that's where I've got that experience. Cause I've made, a, I mean, I, I will joke with some people in wrestling that are in the wrestling media. It's like, no, look, I've made every mistake you can probably make. If you, accept, <laughs> right. you know, uh, on the ethical scale, it's not like right, the unethical right, right. stuff. That's not, I'm saying, but I said, I've made the typos. I've actually written cyclones instead of Hawkeyes uh, on <laughs> the front page of Intermat. Now, granted it was up for about 10 seconds, but I put cyclones beat cyclones. You know, it was one of those things like, you know, in between ideas. And that's the thing when and to, to the credit of those out there hustling right now, you don't have copy editors in this world. When, and it's so hard to edit your own writing because you're going to read over the same thing you wrote it. Of course, it's right. I wrote it. And, you know, that's why, you know, I, I sometimes ask like last week, one of my stories got back read, caught a couple of errors last time I ever had to go. And it, I mean, there probably something on that last release I put out from the NWC that went out there. And, you know, but when, you know, I had 
what did I have? You know, one time, okay, so Annika Sorenstam, remember her, the pro golfer? Yeah. Made history by playing in a men's event. It was called the Colonial. Well, every major event that was in golf, we had the golf layout. So it was a major, it was on the front page. We had the special golf page and, you know, it wasn't an issue. So Sorenstam is a front page story, but the score, I thought there was going to be a separate section for the Colonial scores. Well, there wasn't. They were supposed to go in scoreboard, the page I was laying out. I get up and leave because I've, all right, I'm done. We have to clear the pages out. Okay, there's no more updates for the school board. I'm done after second. I'm going home. Well, I'm in the car driving out, and my boss, Mario, calls and goes, hey, man, um, where are the Colonial scores? And I'm like, well, don't we have a golf page? I didn't think enough to even look at the rest of the budget. They call it the budget, which is where things are going. I just made the assumption that the golf scores were going on the golf page. There was no golf page. This was because the colonial itself was not a major or a big, right. you know, it, that deserved a whole, you know, two page golf spread. So she got the front, she got an inside, you know, the jump from the inside or to the inside, but the scores were still going in scoreboard. First edition didn't get them. They went back and had to tweak my mistake. And that was one thing. And then when it goes out in print like that, it's so different than when you mistype something where you can just edit online because then you gotta sit <laughs> with that for okay a while. so there's also another story is when things get that things get missed now i wasn't privy to this one but this became kind of a running joke those those of you at the daily press uh my friends that actually um actually we still keep in touch they will they will know the band guar has a very special place in the heart of the daily press because not once but twice we ran a big giant green cartoon dick in the newspaper. Okay. <laughs> um, we had this inside section. I think, what was it called? It was like the concert page that comes out on Friday. So here's what's coming up on the weekends. It was like an insert. Mm -hmm. And the, the pulled graphic was, was a cartoon graphic of Guar, which if, for those of you that don't know, just Google it, go to YouTube, not safe for work. Most of the time, <laughs> kind of a shock rock, kind of like uh, artsy, fartsy, gory, fake blood everywhere. It just, it's, I mean, it's a very kind of gross, kind of funny, it's like dark comedy kind of thing, but it's just, it's pretty graphic. Well, the main character, I can't remember, it was like something Among Us or whatever. I'm not, I can't say I'm a huge Guar fan by any stretch of the imagination. I am kind of familiar with their music. Well, has a big giant foul. It's just, just a boot. Okay. <laughs> well, that was in the paper. And what was interesting is the cut line. It was, just, it was, it was called Wild Art, which was just a picture that had nothing to do with anything else and had a, had maybe a little, little, little headline and a cut line that said what it was. Well, it was Monster Rock because they were talking about uh, the <laughs> graphics about like, okay, yeah, because they're monsters and they rock. One of the comments that were written into the, um, you know, the paper that they would publish the comments was like, man, there's never been more suitable headline than that. Well, so that was the Guar incident. Well, a couple years later, Guar comes back on tour and they put the same picture in the paper again. Oh now, different God. staff everywhere. And, and I remember once, oh man, I almost got my buddy fired for this one. Um, the late Kevin Allen, he was, uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was, he, he was a, that six foot nine, funny dude, Florida Gator. Um, you know, he always tells me, you know, he, he hated FSU so much and why you can't spell felon without Noel. One of those things, you know, just always had those little anti Florida state things. Well, we're sitting at this company wide meeting. I'm going to go to this meeting. And I never went to the big stuff. So uh, Ronnie Matthews, she's the publisher, and they're talking to the whole newsroom, the whole staff, everything. This is in the afternoon. And, you know, she says, we did a lot of great things this year. And under my breath, I'm standing next to Kevin. I'm like, yeah, like put a giant green dong in the paper. <laughs> and he about, he just turns purple, just trying to hold his life. He had to go into the bathroom and laughing. So, uh, yeah. So that was like the biggest mistake the Daily Press to mine. And I remember Kevin Bradford, one of my old uh, uh, assistant editors, would be like, 
what was that person pissed about? He goes, ah, we put shit in the paper. Like the word, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, there, yeah. you want to think pearl clutching on the internet is crazy. I, I said something, somebody sat in for, um, Javi Lopez one time catching for the Braves. And I had these little things when I'm doing a baseball page and whoever filled in for him while he was on the DL, I was like, who needs Javi Lopez? And the, the, the back, the catcher they brought up from Richmond was hitting like 465 that week. And so I made him like the player of the day or something. A woman called me like the next day. I just happened to answer the phone. Day. Like, yeah. I want uh, who wrote that about that? I was like, yeah, I do. I just didn't think it was very nice and hung up on me. I'm like, man. Okay. So I was, yeah. it was just a joke, man. My editor, Jim Hodges tried to, I, I tried to get mullet into the newspaper countless times in the baseball page. And he nixed it every single time. Craig Wilson of the Pittsburgh pirates had a glorious blonde mullet at, in one part of the season. I tried to, you know, the mullet, you write le- about it. I, you know, you can have fun with some of those little things. And like, you know, you're like, you know, okay. Mullet laden. Craig Wilson went four for five last, you know, last night with no, <laughs> it's sometimes you could get that in. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that you do in the newsroom. You can, you could slide some inside jokes in there that were pretty funny, but as far as the errors in the paper to back to your initial point. Yeah. If uh, one time we put a uh, high, I didn't do this one, but one of my coworkers put, uh, you know, uh, a score between York and Lafayette was flipped a mm. couple of high schools. And I see it the next day. I'm like, Hey, Lafayette won that game. And she's sitting right in front of me. And I'm just like, <gasps> and they, they look at me like, they're like, no, because like she made the mistake. Yeah. And they were pointing at her, like looking at me, going, no, no, no. And I'm like, oh shit. So yeah, yeah some, you know, because you don't work every day when you're a part-timer. But yeah, those some of the, yeah, some of those uh interesting times in the paper, man. I'm thinking about you. We're going back in time here, man. That was that was a fun time, but man, it was very stress-inducing. And we're not that's not even the wrestling stuff. I'm reading a book right now about it's called the uh it's called This is Chicago Trip, the rise of the great American newspaper, and it's fascinating. Trib owned. We were a Trib owned newspaper. Really? So there you go. So we had the intranet. We had the employee directory. Guess who was in our employee directory with their home telephone listed? Hit me. Hey, Dusty Baker. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the entire Cubs front office <laughs> was in the <laughs> Tribune directory because the Tribune owned the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'd always like, uh... Man, do I, do we, do, do we call Johnny B Dusty Baker right now? <laughs> you oh, <know>? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I it's like did. fascinating to hear that though, about just kind of, you know, hear about those stories and then you know to talk about some of the lessons you learned because a lot of that you read a lot of blogs now where things are just so obviously misspelled and not that that didn't happen back then i just got to think that there was a higher level uh, a higher rigor of discipline when it came to editing and and you've really refining the story before you just put it out so i love hearing about that stuff well and it's not the thing is here's the thing when you're a local editor like so i uh, say i'll get the baseball page and that means every ap writer story if it's you know, Paul Newberry or if my buddy Joe Reedy's covering the Chargers or something that comes through. Yes, I'm name dropping. Um, if, if you sit there and you see it and then you catch, you know, what that AP writer the first time will will put something in for their first run and it doesn't get caught by their editors. And then, you know, you got me, you know, 20 something year old catches it. It doesn't go on our paper. And then you'll see an edit come through, you know, those, those couple edits. They'll when they find it, they'll put a new one out. So every subsequent one, usually you find it, you go replace it because you've got, you know, hours before the stuff comes out. But I remember specifically one time I'm sitting there and again, I'm, I'm on a terminal behind me is the, the guy, Jim Hodges, who I, I really consider one of the guys that really helped me understand editing and, and has basically taught me the, the usage of the compound modifier. Now, being such a, uh, as in, in the words that I am, I'm not a huge grammar, like stickler for certain grammar things. Now, Say the word pinfall around me. I'm, you, everybody kind of knows my, my, my take on that because it's either for bowling or pro wrestling. It hasn't been used in amateur wrestling. 
uh, which even I don't even like amateur wrestling, but it hasn't even been used in our world of wrestling since the 50s. It hadn't been, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, if you hear that, you see that, it's either somebody that doesn't know what they're doing or they're a brand new SID or they just don't really care about it. So when, so when it was compound, like narrowly missed, no, no, L, you know, compound, you know, compound modifier, you, you hyphenate here. Well, walk off. He goes, no, game winning RBI. And then one time I saw an, uh, an SID from a school that shall be remain nameless, right? Walk off pinfall. I about shit my pants. I was like, come on. <laughs> so that, that played to like one thing I hate the most, which I think comes from a message board post back in like 2004. And then, you know, certain things about it. Well, anyway, back to the story was the word I found in this AP story. I'm like, and I'm sitting there and I've got the proof and I'm reading it. And I'm like, what the hell? What is, what is, I'd never seen this word before in my life. I go, Jim, what's this? And he goes, recalcitrant. I'm like, Okay. Didn't he gave me gave me the explanation? You know, like kind of, you know, standoffish kind of thing. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I can't remember if that's the exact meaning, but it was something not great. It was kind of right. describing a player's mood. He was very said the recalcitrant coach. I'm like, the heck does that mean? So sometimes you find new words when you're going. You know, but that was that's one thing. I was like, I let I you know I said we should probably get rid of that. He goes, yeah. So I got rid of it because no, if I'm at you know I'm. You know, I don't want to, like I said, I'm into words, but I'm not into grammar. Right. If I don't know that word. I guarantee you most of our readers aren't going to get that word. So let's, let's, let's toss it. But yeah, typos are kind of, I don't get mad about typos as much as I get mad about factual errors. Now there's mm-hmm. a difference between a mistake by blanking on something and then, you know, willful ignorance. So if you've got, I mean, if you just don't know something cause you didn't care to look it up, that's on you. Now, if you, you just blank on something, like I put a tweet out the other day and that's another thing, Twitter I wish there was an edit button because I'll catch one little thing. My apostrophes it's versus it apostrophe yes. S. I'm like, ah, even I have Twitter blue and I still miss it. So, but you know, the, the typos are typos happen. And should, most of them happen. Be because si- Sorry, go ahead. You got the red underline. You should and autocorrect. I mean, damn you autocorrect.com. There's a whole website because of autocorrects things. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I think I was typing a word the other day and it autocorrected to Hockstrasser. Okay. Really? <laughs> so, um, if I get more about factual issues, um, so I mean, typos happen. Yeah. Uh, unlo- I mean, I mean, how many times has Logan Stever's name been spelled wrong? I mean, Muzaffar Abdurakmanov saying it is a lot easier to spelling it. Um, right. You know, so right. you know, I don't really worry so much about it because you can go back and tweak that. Okay, but typos and graphics where you've got to look at it when typos in a, a thousand word story, you're gonna make one. I mean. Every story I've written in my life probably had a mistake in it mm-hmm. just because that's the nature of the beast. I mean, uh, I, I'd like, to, I don't know. I was even joking how many words I'd written and I, you know, I, I have a pretty low typo ratio because I'm, I'm pretty much, I, I will try to make sure I get every name, every word spelled, but sometimes there's a, a two, two versus not two. I mean, certain double words and that, that grammar check and, and, you know, things like that. I don't use Grammarly. I don't trust it, but. Um, you know, sometimes you just can't avoid them. You know, so typos, typos get a pass unless yep. you keep doing it. Uh, or if it's in a, in a headline and a graphic that three people have read and things of that nature. I mean, sometimes you just, eh, and then sometimes you don't care and you're not, you know, quality control. So there's a couple of things to go into it, but yeah, a typo in a newspaper is I guarantee if you read a, new, a newspaper cover to cover, you'd find a hundred. Yeah. Nah, every day. That's, that's good to hear. Um, and just good to know it's a reminder that don't be so hard on yourself. Um, I wanted to shift a little bit to being uh, in the in the announcing world because you think about some of the events that stick out to you. 2014 Worlds, NCAs at Madison Square Garden, 2016 Olympics. 
where where do you like rank those in terms of just moments where like if you go back and just bottle that feeling of atmosphere like that um 2015 worlds because i didn't announce 14 14 was in Tashkent, which the one in vegas i'm sorry yeah yeah Tashkent, man I, my buddy uh you know leroy gardner the coach at, at university of ozarks his wife's from Tashkent, so i i have to i have to, I, I, I love her i don't want to disparage Tashkent, but man i don't ever want to go back there but vegas so vegas was a bit of a rush and because again i got to announce it with ken um i i worked you know al and sandy were part of the team brian hazard was down there on the floor announced with espn and it was just and we'd all we have we have our me ken and, and hazard each night would do our little bios and stuff but um you know when i got that opportunity that was something that was you know what what the coaches say it's it's not like you know it's like do your best do your best do your best one in those situations you're just like don't screw up don't screw up don't screw up and i'm on my way to the airport and i'm nervous and i get nervous i mean i had little rock oklahoma state two nights ago and right before the starting lineups, which I've done wrestling dual meet announcements for, you know, 20 some years, I still get that, you know, heavy heartbeat. Oh, I still get amped up and I get nervous every single time I can be calm, but I can still, you know, the watch tells me my heart rate, you know, here it is, you know, 130 beats a beats a minute when I'm sitting there about to announce the little rock and Oklahoma state and 50 in front of 1500 people where, okay. Yeah. Madison square garden, a little bit more pressure, but Vegas Vegas being a world championship and it being kind of really a coming out party because, you know, I haven't done the Midlands up at that point for about five or six years. And the EIWAs was a jumping off point when I lived in Lancaster. But again, a lot of the East, a lot outside the East coast had never, never heard me in that role. So um, it really was, again, I'm riding to the airport with my wife and I'm, I'm freaking out. Like it's five in the morning. I'm like, I'm just wigging out. She's like, what's wrong? I'm nervous. And he's like, she goes, what's on your mind? You know, don't fuck up. She goes, no, 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 no. Do your best. Do your best. Not don't screw up. It's like going into wrestling. You yeah. go into wrestling. Don't don't lose. No, go out to win. Don't not not lose. Go out to not lose. It's that same kind of kind of thing. That's how I kind of equate to wrestling. Now, I do not apply wrestling virtues to my life. I'm not like I'm gonna be. You know, wrestling did change my life. I don't go, man. Yeah, I learned this from the wrestling mat because that was tough. No, I <laughs> sucked, man. I learned that that hard work sucks sometimes. I mean, that's the, I learned that about ref, myself in wrestling and certain things you can push through in that. But that was the one thing in Vegas was like, you know, don't screw up, don't fuck up. You know, mm-hmm. part again, part of my life, you have to put the explicit tag on the show because that's what podcasters do. Yeah, and it was just like, man, and you know, that's that's kind of like it. Just kind of you go, oh, all right, just do your best. Screw ups will happen if you. Okay, so. You want to say you're over the course of seven days. You're going to say something wrong. If you worry about, it's like your typo point. If you worry about every little typo as a writer, you're you're not going to get any better. If you worry about every little flub you're going to make on a microphone as the only person talking in front of it, that that case, 9,000 people at Madison Square Garden, 18,000 people. Oh my gosh. Can you think about Matt, uh, at US Bank Stadium if mm-hmm. we weren't canceled in 2020? There's been 45,000 people. Hanging on your every word. You want some of that pressure? Right. And if you say one thing wrong, the person in the stands that knows more than you about wrestling, because I know almost everybody, most everybody that goes to that national tournament knows more than me about wrestling, is there's some pressure there. So Vegas, we got through it. And that Vegas was just a grind because it's seven days and you got two announcers. That's nice. You can split it. And again, that was the coming out party, I guess. And because that led to me getting Rio because because uh, I met, uh, you know, Pedro from, from Brazil through the save Olympic wrestling movement, but then Madison square garden comes and that pressure, there's a different story with that because 
you know, we talked about Ed, well, and Sandy being, being a dear friend. And she was like a third, she's like a third grandmother to, to my, my, especially my oldest. And, you know, having worked with her at Midlands and been, been around her at, at countless tournaments and events. And when, when I was working at USA wrestling, well, I knew it was coming that the NCAA was going to make a change and I knew they were looking my direction. So it's one of those things where just like, okay, mm-hmm. you just kind of wait, just kind of wait. Cause it's not my job to tell anybody what's going to happen. And then, you know, she tells folks that, you know, she's no longer going to be there. And then this, the hardest part about that, even before I got to it was the, was the social media chatter. Cause everybody loves Sandy and mm-hmm. I love Sandy. And then, but then there's all your friends that you're friends with on Facebook and you're, you're, you're reading the comments and they're all your same parent that your same group. I mean, you look at Sandy's or your Facebook or my Facebook or whoever's mutual friends, a thousand, you know, mm-hmm. like 20% of my friends are friends with somebody else. You know, it's that, that's how we are. And then, you know, you sit there and, you know, you, you fall into reading the comments and you're like, you know, they're not talking disparagingly of you. They're help. They're talking highly of the other person. You have to be careful of that. And it was like, okay, well, People are not going to be very, their people are not happy that she's not announcing anymore. And then there's the pressure to follow that. You know, again, following a legend, it that is voice in your head. And like all that doubt, like it's the pressure oh. and, you know, and you know, she, she sent me a message about it and, you know, before it was announced. And I, the one thing is I never got to announce my, my, my excitement to be able to do it. And I don't, you know, the way they treated Ed, they emailed it. They at least called Sandy. Um, so that's, again, that's the hard, it's the hard part is like, I'm not pushing anybody out the door. I had nothing to do with it. And so going into Madison square garden, there were a couple added things to it. Yes. The garden, but two, yeah, your first nationals, but three, you know, you're, you're, you're taking the place. Me and Brian are coming in and we're not the voices people have heard for 40 years and people were blaming the New York people. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it was the NCAA that made the decision. And, you know, the host, the, the, the local organizing committee has the call, you know, I get, you know, and me and Sandy worked the division threes the next year in lacrosse mm-hmm. and we worked uh, the division threes in Cedar Rapids. It's been fine. I mean, I've worked with her, I worked with her at the Midland since. So it was, it, it just, that was the added pressure wasn't about the garden. It was, it was bigger than that. It was the wrestling community. So that was the one thing that was really hard about Madison square garden in 2016 is, you know, I mean, you know, I had, I had the NAIs and the threes before that. So I had, you know, two weeks of prep for what, but when, when you're at the world's most famous arena mm-hmm. and they've never been in there for the first time. And the last time I was in that building was in 2002 when Ed Alaverdi was, was blurting out Bulgaria when Barzakov beat De beer. I mean, it was, you know, those iconic calls. It's just like <laughs> there were the, again, the pressure wasn't about the event. Cause I've announced hundreds of events by this point. It was the fact that there are 18,000 people in here waiting for me and Brian to screw up because oh, they yeah. love Sandy and I love Sandy. So it, it, that's where it was. It's I mean, again, this is not, to, I mean, it's not disparaging her. It's just, this is where I was sitting during all this stuff. So it's again, really hard to, I mean, I, who knows? I mean, maybe you get Jim Zaleski. So what was it like to follow Gable? What's it like to follow, you know, Matt small at great bridge was, uh, was coaching there for a while. He didn't coach after Steve Martin left great bridge. He goes, why'd you want the job? He's I don't want to be Martin Zaleski. The exact words, you know, wow. it's hard to follow greatness. And I just hope, you know, go out there and do my best. And mm-hmm. we're different styles. And there are things that, that we did that Sandy did and she brought to the tournament that we still do. So the whole standing up thing, like how many nationals have you been? That was her deal. I think it was her and I think Ed Bankowski came up with that years ago. And we bring that we still do that. 
I also like to recognize the first timers because, and that was what I was also really eyeing in Minneapolis is I wanted to have 25,000 people standing up going to tournament for the first time. Cause that's how we replenish our fan base is, is having an opportunity to see it really hard for, for a high school kid that might like wrestling to go to, to a spectacle like the NCAA. So 2016, but once we got rolling, so back to enough about the, the, the lead up, because that's, that's a lot of me, me, me stuff, but you know, again, there was a lot of pressure because you're like, okay, you've got people at the NCAA you've known that have known you in a different role and they're hearing you guys and you know, they're, they were recommended and you've got other people put their neck out for you too. If you screw up, you've got really friend, really good friends that you're going to lose, you know, they're going to lose their status or they're, Oh, you, you said this guy was good. Their reputation's on the line too. Cause they recommended you. So, um, you know, getting that and getting, getting the Olympics, that was another, you know, you talk about that's a pressure cooker, Yeah, but that was, how the hell do you remember everyone's pronunciation of their names i don't remember countries. them i don't i don't remember them i have a sheet that i've built a google doc now you remember them when you say them enough but you know like each year you know you know you're gonna say oh yeah freaking mongolians uh you know because they're, they're by far the worst them and them and the russians that move to hungary because they add all <laughs> the like those guys they're adding a letter in the belarusians because their 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 cyrillic alphabet is different but Again, I don't. I don't need to remember. It's like what, what is Einstein? I don't want to compare myself to Einstein, but there's there's an adage or a, something that's attributed to him is he didn't know his own phone number because mm-hmm. it was in the phone book. He didn't need to know it because he could look it up. Kind of like that. Well, I'll have the list of all these these names from previous years, and I've got the pronunciations, and I'll get it. I'll say somebody, and I'll write it down, and I'll type it in, and I keep that list at the like and, at the desk of the Olympics, or like when you go in there, you don't have your cheat sheet with you. Like when oh, you're I, at the I, desk. Oh no 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 Olympics, no. Oh, when uh, beforehand, all those were all the prep work is done beforehand. Right. So, but, so when mean, you get there that morning, every name you're pronouncing, you know how to. I already have listed. Yes, wow. I've already researched it. Now, if I don't sometimes at the Olympics, because you're going to see these names because it's a lot more condensed. You've got right. 16 names. of right. It's not as you don't have 50 names. You don't you don't have the you don't have the French speaking African country entering the tournament for the first time. And, you know, you know, like the kid from Chad, who's going to go zero and one. Right. You just got to say his name once. Hope you get it close because you're not going to say it again. Because right. he's going to, you know, oh, you poor, poor sap from so and so. That's going to get this guy. Oh, you might get pulled back in. Crap. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of your developing countries in in the African nations, which have um, Nigeria is not so bad. But when you know Daniel Legali, he'll he'll send you the message and say, hey, he'll he'll voice text you and be like, here, here's how you say it. Uh, that's typically what I do with the Mongolians is, is I say it once or, you know, the naming convention, like, you know, a J is what is pronounced like a J. It's like not losing Georgia. It, like it's loose and Dorch, like it's a CH. Mm-hmm. And then in Turkish, you'll see a C that's more like a C with a little, little ascent, like a little, it's like, I don't know. It's like almost like sense, but it's got like C on top of a C that's pronounced like a J. So it's not um sell shook, sell juke, you know, it's, but again, these, these languages have, different pronunciations that we're not doing now the, the chinese holy crap oh my lord the syllables and and but again i try to naming conventions last name first there so not really not yanan soon like soon yanan and the chinese are really hard to pop like you can't draw soon yanan because it means something completely different so you have to be like and from china soon yanan you have to pop it in there you know versus no you know, you, some names you've got to pop in a way that are that are more honoring their their pronunciation. You, I mean, some names you draw out and they clearly know what's going on, but that pronunciation thing it's 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 a lot of work that comes into it, and a lot of work it comes into it. And there's also just the research. So there'll be five, 900 names for world championships. You've got 286 for the Olympics. So it's it's you know what what's that? What's the math? Four times as yeah. much work. So 
Um, the pronunciations, again, you go back, you walk around, um, you've got friends. I mean, I've got friends from all over the world and I'll send them notes. I'm like, Hey, how do you say this? Even the Canadians. Cause they've got the, the French Canadians in, in Quebec. So yeah, you know, I go to Canadian. I announced the Canadian trials for, for the last two cycles and, or, you know, the Commonwealth games like, okay, you got to get these guys. Right. It's just, yeah, it's just a lot of asking questions and a lot of, a lot of text, And, you know, like I know a Chinese referee, uh, you know, I'll go to the referees too, knowing the international referees, you go up, uh, where's, Hey, Hey, I'll tell Sammy, Hey, Sammy, where's your buddy from Ukraine? Uh, or, you know, where's your, where's your buddy from, from, uh, you know, Japan, Japanese are pretty easy, but you know, that's the thing. You ask a lot of questions and then you keep the list. You don't, you don't lose the list. Google docs is great for that. Cause I can go back 2015, the first year I've got an international list for pronunciations. I still use it cause there's still athletes competing there. Man, I, I love the system of it too. And just how uh, detail oriented it is. Well, one of the things I wanted to, uh, to wind down with is when you talk about your current footprint, Matt Talk Network, it's been going again since 2014. And, you know, so many you know, th- uh, thousands of episodes have been, have been hosted on there. And one of the newest programs you're working on where we have some overlap, Etched in Stone. And uh, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on, on the Lloyd Keyser one and, and kind of how that all came about. The whole series was because I had started a, an idea when I started the podcast stuff. I kind of pitched it to the Hall of Fame. I was going to try to crowdfund the Legend Series, which is where I'd interview people. And what that's basically become is I'd sit down and interview people on Hall of Fame Honors Weekend, and I would drop, drop them out throughout the course of the year. I've added some video to it, and I've still got stuff from 2018 I'm still sitting on. Just I haven't had the chance to sit down and, and put time and edit it. But um, And knowing that the Hall of Fame was interested in that, and then, of course, when Pat Christensen pitches the idea to the Hall, first with the Mark Torella Series, and then you've got the Smith documentary, uh, that, that was bundled in there. And then now Mike Finn wrote the Keezer thing. I just think that, and the next one, which is not a secret now is I'll be working on Gray Simons, who is, I, you know, I didn't wrestle in college, but I say Gray was my college coach and I'm, I will, I will fight you if you say things about Gray. Um, you know, he wasn't on the 75th anniversary team, which is a travesty. I, you know, I was tweeted this morning that he wasn't on the flow top 100 of all time. I'm like, did you know, but to your question, <laughs> Um, the guy's a seven-time national champ, okay? He lost one match in college, and it was to the national champ above him from the year before as a freshman, okay? Like, he did the whole, like, Bryce Meredith bump up Seth Gross type of thing. Yeah. That was his only time. Well, no, that, they were national champs. It's all it would be like, you know, he did, the, he did the date Taylor thing. Yeah. Like, in his freshman year. And, but hey, that was his only loss. He wasn't even Dacor Taylor yet. But See, that's why it's going to be so good because you're so passionate but I dig- about it. Yes, but I digress. And I'm going to be heavily biased in that one because Gray farts more wrestling knowledge than, than <laughs> I'll ever know. So the etched in stone, it, and it really kind of kind of checked that box because to, to roll it back a little bit, my first serialized podcast was was Rocked Up, mm-hmm. where I documented the, the foundations of the Little Rock program. Um, and that was really what got that, that one, you know, I talked about feeling of accomplishment earlier when, you know, you don't have it in the newspaper industry anymore at sometimes, but when I got done with that thing and it was raw, it was still the first thing I did. And I didn't soundscape it. I didn't do it. I didn't have a score for it. I did it, you know, wrote it and I did it during a renovation. So I didn't have this yet. I didn't have a studio. I did it from the desk in my corner of my bedroom. So it was not the most ideal editing situation. And and it's funny because half the people that I interviewed on that had left by the time the show came out because they went to go uh, work for the, the AD who left to go uh, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. And it was just like, so working through the etched and working through Rocked Up, I'm like, man, I want to do more of this. I want to do, I like your documentary. You are doing stuff with your documentary series that I wish I had 
the time to do. But again, a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of history stuff that I do. I just, I mean, I have a list of 400 people to interview that I, that just gets longer. Dude, let's knock pause, one off. <laughs> pause on the, the time. That's what I was going to ask you is the first time you do one of those and it's oh like a 19 goodness. minute episode, like you're exactly right. The feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. I get it twice a year. I do two of these a year. That's amazing. But just the amount of time it takes to do five minutes is staggering, isn't it? Yeah, because you don't, you got to find out, okay. And you, to your credit, you've done a lot of research on script writing and stuff like that. So and you've, you've put a lot more time into the craft in that regard than I have. And I've just kind of, again, using my experience as a longtime podcast listener and a longtime podcast producer is being able to put things together and like, okay, I listen to these shows. I'm in the news industry. I know how, I mean, I've, I've written stories my entire life. So yeah. Um, maybe, you know, the script writing is not something I, I, I have the background in, but I'm sitting there looking at it and formulating it as, okay, this is, this is a nine minute block of audio. That's not, you're going to have to break that up. You're going to have to get, you know, you're going to have to re-ask the question to set up their response. So it's two different voices, things like that. So, and then, you know, with the etched in stone, um, stuff with, with Keezer having somebody else you know, again, the two episodes are the two series with, with Chirella. And Keezer, well, they were written by other people. Pat Christensen wrote um, the, the Mark Trello one and Mike Finn wrote Lloyd Keezer. So the difference there is, is I didn't write those. So I'm going back through trying to, okay, reading through the script, looking at the transcript. Otter.ai, by the way, is amazing uh, for helping line up transcripts and stuff. So I'm sitting there lining them up and, and those took a lot longer than, than Rocked Up did because I'm, it wasn't fresh in my mind. I didn't, oh yeah, Pat said that, Pat Smith said this on this episode uh, when we were in the Little Rock Academy here. So working through somebody else's work as a producer and editor is a lot different than your own story that you've written. And then you're editing again, you can, when you're doing your own production, you can formulate the story the way you want it to go. So you know how to ask those questions. So when I sit down with Grace Simons next week, I know exactly how I'm going to ask questions and where mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. So I know where I'm going to put them in the story. Cause you know, etched in stone, we have three different parts, you know, prior to wrestling, wrestling career, and then post wrestling career. So uh, that was the one thing. And I thought, you know, I thought Pat did a great job of really actually setting us up yeah, to, to have a really successful series. So I learned one thing I loved about doing the, the Chirella series is I learned a lot about Chirella and I learned a lot about that year. And I learned a lot about Lloyd Keezer. And it was a situation where, because he was the first African-American, you know, world champ. And it was like, wait a minute, this is, this is big. Yeah. And I took some creative license with, I, I'm going to get George, you know, Mike Finn wrote about a quote that Jordan Burroughs had. I, I called Jordan and got him to say it. Mm -hmm. So you, you do those types of things to it. So again, bringing that, that creative element to it and then having the, having the access to some of these people, like having the ability, like Jordan, I need a quote that's going to be, this, this is going to just make this part of this episode sing. So the time it takes and just, and this is where I think I don't get protective of podcasting because we have, so many podcasts out there now it's like i don't get mad when anybody gets a get now sometimes you get somebody before i got them and i'm like ah you know rare, like, oh dude. man that was Very on my rare. list or, or like jim harshaw got tim ferris i've been trying to get tim ferris for like six years you got tim ferris yeah i got tim ferris i think last year i, I had tim ferris's like i knew tim ferris's producer and i couldn't get him wow. and it's just you know and it was that like is one a of those dream things. one tim ferris Definitely. he wrestled at princeton you know those yeah. are the things but you know, get Mario Lopez was a good one for me. Get Matthew Modine was a good one for me. But you had Mario the, but, Lopez. I was just told my fiance last night I want Mario Lopez. You son of a gun. Oh, yeah, I'll probably man. get him twice. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Wow. Um, but but to to again, I, I tend to ramble much. I love about this. I don't get protective about the podcast space because we have me and you can only tell 
so many stories. You do really good at, at making sure you're on a schedule. You've got your documentaries and then your weekly stuff. I was doing, I, I pointed out this yesterday. It's like, I think I've done three short times in the last two months. And one of them was a tribute to my dad. So, but, but again, like you're traveling, you're announcing, you're doing all this other stuff. It's like, man, but thankfully there are so many people that have learned this craft. And yeah. you know what? One of my good friends, Ashley Sword was for, from Life University, Ashley Flavin. Now she just got married. Congratulations again, married in October. She's had the chance to tell her story on a couple different podcasts. It's not just hearing it from me. So that's what I love about this medium is that there's a lot of, pe- a lot of people that can get these stories out there. Because not everybody that listens to you listens to me and vice versa. Right. Not everybody that listens to Headlocks and, and Lat Drops is, is listening to both of us. I mean, and not everybody that listens to Bash Mania is listening to both of us. So we've got the opportunity. Overlap is not a bad thing because you're going to, you're going to, you know, the number of listens we know for our shows varies because you put an Iowa episode out, it's going to shoot through the roof. You put a story <laughs> about, you know, a small NAIA kid and who's, who's going to listen to it. Your hardcore people are. So right. uh, the time to do it. So I love the fact that we've got a lot of storytellers out there. We're at least getting the stories out there. And if we need to come over top and we've got a different, we, we can do the same interview with the same oh, person, yeah. but it's not the same interview. You know, I mean, 100%. I, I'm, I mean, there's it's so, so many ways to do any single one. It's <sighs> crazy. I mean, and you really only have, you know, you know, so much time per interview. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an amazing time. And you look at all the, you know, the foundation and the groundwork that you laid. And then now you're, you're just layering on top. And Nick, you said all the guys you mentioned, I love uh stalemates blood round. Those guys are awesome. Blood rounds the first show I listen to as soon as it's out, I might have to listen to it two or three times because I'll listen to it when it comes out that night, but I'll probably be tired and I'll go to sleep. Like crap. I gotta go back and download it again. And then sometimes I'll hear like, I was like, dude, I need to download because I helped him. They were downloading their entire wave file or putting their wave file the first one when they oh, first put God. it out. I was like, "Why is my data dead?" They were putting up one gig files and into their their sound. How long would that account. take to upload? Oh my goodness, I don't know. Then I finally I told I taught them how to export from the the H four H five from the uh, yeah to the MP three and things got a little better. But it just uh, you know, <laughs> I'll wake up and was crap. I've slept through it on Overcast. I have to download it again. But to the to the storytelling part of it, like the Keyser thing, this is where I feel like where I've kind of shifted from journalist. And yes, I still consider myself a journalist. What I do is journalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and in full disclosure, as the president of the media association, you know, I've pulled myself out of certain categories because I was like, like I was nominated for journalist of the year. So I'm like, no. And I didn't nominate myself. I was like, I haven't done anything this year that I think warrants that award. So I, you know, it's not like I'm in it for the awards. Right. It, but, but again, being able to tell these stories, like, be, okay, we need more people to know who Lloyd Keezer is. We need people to know who Gray Simons is. We need mm-hmm. people to know, the story about, you know, the Smith's documentary had so many things in it. Like, and there's so many, there's countless more stories out there to be told. And the fact that we've got etched in stone that has the ability to do this now. And, and the fact that your style and my style are different mm-hmm. and that's good because we've got different ways to tell, tell different stories. And I think that's one thing wrestling fans are going to love. I'm going to look forward to this Gray Simons piece. I think he's 80, 82, 83 years old. And I mean, he's awesome. still right, right. His bike all the time. And there's this, the list of stories that I want to tell. I mean, all these high school coaches that have coached for 40, 50 years. I mean, I got a list of milestones. There's all these pro wrestlers with backgrounds. Uh, me and me and Briscoe have talked about doing that series on people into the pro wrestling world that I've had on my list since 2013. I just, it's again, time. That's the hard part is the time you take. You can't, you, you know, my wife said that, Hey, you say yes to one thing. You got to say no to another. And it's kind of, you know, right. it's, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes when there's so many things I wish I had the hands to do. And I'm a one man shop. So I edit do everything i do but um i love these etched in stone things i love the historical part of it that's why i like doing the legend series that's why i like talking to the the people and you know have it i try to you again you're really good at having a conversation i'm trying to be more conversation based than i am interview based just because you try to hard to unwire your, your journalism 
switch sometimes. So yeah, I, th- I think the wrestling fans win. And the hard part again is trying to get them to listen to it. I mean, you, there's still a discovery issue with with good stuff. I mean, it's 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 one thing that I wish when the Lloyd Keezer thing came out that it had a hundred thousand downloads first episode. I mean, nobody's gonna be Joe Rogan in this sport. So right. uh, you know, political whatever's aside. So I mean, it's just I think we've got some good stuff coming down the pipe, and that's one thing that you know it's been great to to have that influence in, in the podcasting side of things. And then, you know, I, I kind of joke that I'm probably the most copied guy in wrestling history uh, when it comes to things that I brought to the sport. And, you know, sometimes you, that, that kind of eats at you a little bit. And sometimes like with podcasting though, you yeah. just look back and be like, how many of these podcasts, I mean, COVID, we had a, an explosion of podcasts. I mean, I think, I don't know how many, how many, how many episodes did, uh, did Ward do down in Florida? He did like a thousand during COVID. It was crazy. So yeah. That's always good. Those stories are good. There's stories out there and they need to be heard. So this medium has been a game changer for wrestling. And, you know, there's the, there's the interview shows, there's the, the, the documentary series is those things are all great. And, you know, there's no one size fits all for podcasting. And that's the one thing that I love about etched in stone. It's not, it's formulaic, but it's also not, it's serialized and, and it tells a story. And we've, I think we haven't had as many people be able to tell stories in the past. We've just had a few. Yeah. You know, the people always say it's, it's amateur wrestling news. That's all they had. Uh, and that's all we did have. And, you know, the internet's been around since the night intermat and the mat before it was even owned by, right. Uh, who, you know, I think intermat's had four different ownership changes since, and you know, the mat.com was never, wasn't always, wasn't first owned by USA wrestling. You know, that's the series I'm working on too, is the foundations of wrestling on the internet. I mean, I've got one, one of those interviews done. I got to have to redo it because uh, I did it five years ago. <laughs> so a lot of irons in the fire a lot of yeah. irons in the fire well it's never a, satisfied either i love that and it's obvious when you look at your work because you know this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your help so thank you very much and and thank you for coming on the show and um yeah it's just awesome to just an awesome time for wrestling media coverage so it's been a real pleasure man and and many years to come like you said brother Yep. Yep. I don't see myself going anywhere else. I mean, I guess uh, Vince Scully's going to have to just keep the seat warm for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's a bit of a ballsy statement. Okay. I'm not coming after you, Vin. Cause uh, I think, I, I think Sparks wants that one before I do. He wants <laughs> Vin, he, Sparks would be better at Vince Scully's job than I was. Cause I, I'm not, I don't know the baseball like he does, but anyway, I appreciate the uh, appreciate it. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody's listening to Ryan's show. Cause this show, honestly, it changed the way I did things too, because I'm like, Oh yeah. You know, there's things that you do that I'm like, you know, it's like, what's coaching. It's, it's basically stealing from everybody else and then teaching other people how to do it. So, uh, you know, there's some things I've learned from everybody out there. It's the, the brand new show. It's the, it's the old show. It's all this stuff. So, um, and I'm, I'm willing to also give anybody advice. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm just, if, if you want to know something about podcasting or, or anything, drop me an email, drop me a DM. I answer everybody. I, I, I spend so much time helping people that, uh, you know, I don't need to advertise to pat myself on the back, although this is what I'm doing right now. Thank you. Uh, for giving me that option, but I do love to help people. Um, if, if I'd rather you ask me to, to try to get it right, than go out there and do it wrong. And then, you know, Hey, help me. I did this wrong. Just ask me beforehand. If you've got any questions, I'm always, I'm always available. If I'm not, I'll get back to you. Trust me. I'll get back to you. He does. He's amazing. And, uh, now it's obvious. I mean, message the man, any questions at all, this is the guy to go to. Thank you again, Jason. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Spartan Combat. Go to SpartanCombat.com to register for the Spartan Combat Nationals coming to Jacksonville, Florida this April 8th through the 10th. Wrestle a different style each day at the Spartan Combat Nationals. And that's it, folks. We'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life.